Hey mom, and welcome to the Interesting Podcast, where we know a little about a lot. We're your hosts, I'm Annika. And I'm Paige. And all you need to know about us is that we are extremely unqualified to be doing this. Like literally on every level. On no, every level. No audio training, no research training besides graduating college, and honestly, by the skin of my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> but we did it, and but we're we here did. now. <laughs> Got that $60,000 piece of paper. Woof. <laughs> yep. Sitting in my car. Don't even know where mine is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Paige. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the interesting podcast. What are we about? Um, well, we don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Shit, I was hoping you'd be able to figure this out for me. Um, we are sort of diving into the things that you always wonder, but you never take the time to actually look up. And um, that can range from murders to you know, dark fairy tales to pretty much anything, um, feel free to send us your suggestions because we're going to run out of ideas. (laughs) I don't think we will though, because when you give yourself such a broad range, that's true. That's true. You can pull from anything, but the whole purpose of this really is just to make you a more interesting person because you're going to have stories to tell at parties now. It's true. And I cannot stress this enough. Like we're, we aren't going to go like deep into like a single topic and like really do a four-part series on it that's just like not who we are we are not I mean I even have a journalism degree and I'm not (laughs) exactly (laughs) and that's why we say we're gonna know a little about a lot exactly we're answering that age-old tale of like what's What's better to know a lot about a little or a little about a lot? And we're millennials, so it's it's definitely a little about a lot. (laughs) Such a great point. Mm -hmm. All right. So, Paige, tell me an an interesting fact about yourself. An interesting fact. Um, So, I'm trying to think. When I was little, I had a birthmark on my forehead. And I still do. Nobody ever says they see it because I think it's that they're looking for like like a brown spot. I mean, also when you point at your forehead, you're kind of pointing all over your <laughs> it's forehead. Like, it's like a V. It looks like kind of somebody like stamped me with an iron. Like yes, upside down. I do see it. I do see it. Yeah, I see you, mom. Um, but it's uh, my mom used to tell me it was very dark and like purple or blue when I was little, so I had to wear bangs because my parents were like afraid I was gonna get teased. <laughs> Um, but my mom's like when I'd ask about it, my mom was like, "It's the mark of an Indian princess," and so therefore, I Are am Pocahontas. <laughs> no, Are you Native American. This is such a testy top subject for me. I've lived my whole life thinking I was like super Native American, and you know, like my almond-shaped eyes, and I am Pocahontas with blue eyes. I'm like her offspring, which we'll get to later. Um, but then I did 23 and me and it was like, you are literally the least interesting person in any room. <laughs> like Irish, English, and like Polish. Have fun. Maybe you have Neanderthal, don't you? Yeah. So I'm also a knuckle dragger. So I've got that going for so me. So you have, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm a different species. Not quite completely homo sapien. That explains so much. I agree. It really does. <laughs> Annika, tell me an interesting thing about yourself. Well, yeah. for all of you feet aficionados out there, <laughs> I don't know if we want to call, bring their attention to this. I wear a size 11 shoe, <laughs> which is huge for a woman. That's true. And you know what they say about big feet. <laughs> big socks. <laughs> so, you know, if there are any Prince Charmings out there trying to find my glass slipper, it has already been found. That's true. 
pickings were slim. All right, so enough about my feet. Things that you wish you never had to say. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint anybody out there that we're moving on. But we have some stories for you. Yeah, so today we're sort of diving into Disney princesses and the real stories behind them, as well as the like much darker tales that were told um, much a very long time ago. Were you ever into Disney princesses as a kid? It really wasn't. I wasn't my thing. I don't. I don't recall ever having like any Disney princess paraphernalia. Or... No, I think the the marker is if you ever had it as a theme for a birthday party. I don't think I did. Now I, I never did either. You know what I did though? I had rug, Rugrats. Yeah, you had. Oh my, a Rugrats party. <laughs> Right? I'm really upset that we were not friends during I, this time. I mean, Annika didn't like me when she first met me, so I think we came into each other's lives right at the right time. This is true. I was like, <laughs> like when you replay the story, which maybe we'll do one day, it, it like I was obnoxious. I like, I would hate me too. It's cool. We're here now. <laughs> exactly. We're fine. Everything's we're past fine. it. Yeah, were you a Disney princess fanatic? I was not. I think having an older brother that's mm-hmm. close to you in age. Mm-hmm just kind of it's true takes it away from you yeah like I love the sandlot like I didn't care at all about Beauty and the Beast my brother was not a sports guy so I did not <laughs> I did not watch the sandlot until I started dating Mike oh my god! I know I'm so glad you met him but I watched Five Goes West like 300 times <laughs> and I thought I was a Pokemon master <laughs> Pikachu <laughs> so yeah that was my childhood in a nutshell Wonderful. Um, well, speaking of Pocahontas, I guess I can kick us off with that lovely tale. Yeah. Take us around the river bend. Hey. <laughs> we'll paint with the color of the wind. <laughs> sure. Okay. Um, so Pocahontas is a real story um, with real historical references, but it's not quite as like you know lovely and magical as Disney quite led us to believe, which is definitely the theme in all of these. And that's probably why we're more drawn to these stories because we're more interested in the darker underside of the Disney princesses and less the giant gleaming eyes and talking animal sidekicks. Exactly. It kind of makes you a little bit more realistic about life. It's true. You're not going to find your prince charming. It's true. Um, Okay, so in May of 1607, John Smith arrives in Virginia with three ships. Um, He essentially establishes Jamestown, the colony, um, which was Virginia's first successful township. Um, Quote, quote, successful. Um, John Smith was, you know, he had over 100 men. I think it was 106 men. And they arrived in this new land and... They didn't have enough food because they just traveled from across the ocean. And they weren't quite sure how to hunt for their own food or sort of what part of the vegetation they could eat. Um, so they started to starve and they grew sick because they were weakened and um, a lot of them were dying off. So John Smith decides that he's going to go sort of up the river and inland to see if he can enlist the help of the natives to... Um, to help feed his men and they'd actually brought over english copper sort of like english copper scratch metal or scrap metal um because the native tribes were like very taken with copper they sort of thought of copper as like we think of gold today because it was like shiny and gleaming and in this like documentary i watched which is like it's the nova documentary called pocahontas revealed 
they brought up the point that, you know, copper, like there wasn't a, we see things like shiny things all day, every day now, because like, that's just like, (laughs) that's how bougie we are these days. But like back in the day, there was nothing really shiny, nothing. Like it's so for a native person to see something shiny, even if it is just copper, um, it was, they were quite taken with it. So he's going through and he's going to try to trade some of these copper scraps for food and like help. Um, but then he is kidnapped and taken prisoner by the Powhatan people. And the Powhatan people are uh, several different tribes that are united under one chief who is named Powhatan. And that ends up being uh, Pocahontas's father. Um, Pocahontas had an actual native name that was different, but I can't recall what it was. And I obviously didn't think it was important enough to write down. Um, but Pocahontas, <laughs> po- they called her sort of affectionately, they called her Pocahontas, which means like little brat. So you're saying Pocahontas is a nickname. It's a nickname. You came up with the hardest nickname to pronounce. Pocahontas, right? I mean, I'm sure to them it just rolled off the tongue. I'm sure. <laughs> but um, I think that's why I like her so much because she's such like a little brat child. Um, and I really, I really understand that. <laughs> um, John Smith um, claims that the Powhatan chief and Pocahontas' father wished to execute him. And they went through this sort of ceremony where... He was eventually laid down and his head held and he was about to have his head bashed in by rocks and Pocahontas saved him. And that thus begins their love affair, essentially. But it's interesting because that story is not told until 17 years after he is taken prisoner by the Powhatan tribe. He writes report, like eventually he is let go and he writes reports back to England and he never mentions this like near death experience. And it is also brought up that John Smith um, has often claimed to been in trouble and saved by princesses, which like, what a feminist. But (laughs) um, like he claims that he was kidnapped in Russia and he had to walk thousands of miles um, just to escape. They probably didn't have like nice orthotic shoes back then. (laughs) It's true. It's true. I don't know how he did it. So I, you know, who's to say what's right and what's wrong, but it kind of seemed like he had delusions of grandeur. But, and, you know, when a policeman is taking a statement, he usually believes the statement taken right after the incident and not the statement taken 17 years later. So in reality, Pocahontas was 11 years old. What? 11. And John Smith was 27. Okay, that's like not a healthy age. Yeah. <laughs> right? And like even for back then, like an 11-year-old child to fall in love with is like quite aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, so romance was the romance was likely completely fiction um and disney definitely like grabbed hold of that and sort of didn't make her look 11 and they <laughs> and they ran they with have it. a lot of explaining to do right <laughs> but yeah so she she was 11 years old and he was 27 they think that they were probably likely much more friends um pocahontas was known for being very smart um it's theorized that she was actually the chief's like chosen t- child to take over for him and that's why she was allowed in certain ceremonies that she wouldn't have been allowed in and she she was sort of seen as like the the one who could bridge the gap between the two cultures. So eventually, John Smith is injured in a gunpowder explosion incident and is sent home to England. That's kind of like a gasoline fight incident. (laughs) It's like very Zoolander of him. Right, exactly. Like, I'm not quite sure how it happened, but he's injured enough that he has to go back home to England. 
and he does eventually return. Like, he recoups and eventually returns in 1614, but he does not return to Virginia. He returns to so the New England area and map, maps out the coastline of the New Americas. That's, like, a crazy job, by the way. Right? Like, when you look at maps made years and years ago before satellites or anything and how accurate they were. Insane. I'm a terrible, like, drawer, let alone, like, topographic I could not even draw you my neighborhood. (laughs) So true. (laughs) Just be like straight lines, maybe like um, some brief like street names, but that's it. That's it. That's all all I could do. It is quite nice that they were uh, able to do that. It really helped us out in the end (laughs) until Google came around. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, John Smith. So he's injured. He comes back. He never returns to Jamestown. Um, The colony continues to grow without him, but tensions sort of begin after he leaves begin to mount between the natives and the colonists especially like as the colonists be, need to rely less on them because they're they have been refueled with ships full of food and things like that they begin to see uh, the natives sort of as adversaries instead of the people that used to help them in 1613 the, in, the english kidnap pocahontas to gain leverage over her father and she's not held in captivity for like a little amount of time. She's there for over a year, and over the year, um, she is she joins Christianity and takes the name Rebecca, and marries Becky you know, with the good hair. Becky with the good hair. I mean, I bet she had fantastic hair. Honestly, we have finally gotten to the bottom of who Becky with the good hair is. You are welcome. <laughs> John Rolfe is a settler from England, and uh, Pocahontas actually marries him. And at this point, just to go back a little, when John Smith left to go back to England after his accident, they told Pocahontas that he was dead. And they're not quite sure why they said that. Um, maybe they just thought that he would die in voyage. And he never came back, so she had no additional information. She, was, she thought he was dead. And in 1616... Her one-year-old son and her husband and her head across the ocean to England. And whilst there, she is sort of, like, revered as this this embodiment of how, like, the savages can be gentrified into the English way. And there's portraits of her wearing full English garb. She meets people of quite high stature. And it's almost, they, they paint her as almost as, like, a traitor to her people, like, she no longer wants to be the savage who runs in the forest with bare feet. She wants to be like a, a nice English woman. Somebody from the Americas just like embracing. Yeah, exactly. The English culture. Exactly. And like Meghan would... Markle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Looking at you, girl. <laughs> it's she's almost used like as a marketing a piece of marketing material for like why it's people should go to the Americas and start a new life and there's nothing to fear and these savages they can be redeemed and be just like us if you know they're shown the way so after she's in england she actually learns that john smith did not die and they do meet again um allegedly she was quite standoffish and she was really upset because she they had like such a because close she's a woman <laughs> Because maybe there was a romance. I don't know. <laughs> no, they sort of say that, like, they revered each other more as, as like, brother and sister and, and family. And the fact that, like, he left and never came back. He abandoned his family. And ever since he left, like, the tensions have grown. And she was kidnapped. And there's been a lot of violence against the natives. And the fact that he just abandoned them was not cool with her. I get it. I get it, too. 
So their their friendship doesn't last. Their newfound friendship doesn't last very much longer because a few months later she actually grows ill and dies, and she never gets to see her people or Virginia ever again. And that's Pocahontas. That's Pocahontas, right? Um, it's a little sad. It's interesting because I guess throughout the years and ever since like the Disney film, natives they they like Poca- the story of Pocahontas and they enjoy it. But they hate how it's always painted her as somebody who essentially, like, takes on the the English and Western way instead of – and turns her back to, like, her her uh, her people. But over the last, you know, couple decades, they've sort of spun that to, you know, she, she was doing what she had to do in order to bridge the gap with their cultures and, you know, make it so that they could survive and thrive. And we were ho- – we horribly mistreated the natives and uh, – it was people like her who sort of were could have helped that situation. So yeah, and that's Pocahontas. Oh, very cheerful. Right, sounds like the Disney film. It's just like the Disney film. There's like a tree that talks and a really cool raccoon. All right, well, uh, my story is not based on anything that's true. We're gonna be talking about the Little Mermaid. Hey. So the original story is by Danish author and poet Hans Christian Andersen. It was written in 1837, and if that name sounds familiar to you, he is the author of very well-known fairy tales, such as The Snow Queen, which is what Frozen was based off of. That's so cool. I never knew that that was like an old tale. Yeah. It's like, it's it's pretty different from Frozen, but there are definitely yeah. certain similar motifs. Um, I mean, it's called The Snow Queen. The Snow Queen. Okay. Um, there's Thumbelina, Ugly Duckling, just to name a few of his works. So... Little Mermaid, girl doesn't have a name. She's just called the Little Mermaid throughout. But similarly to the movie, she lives in an underwater kingdom with her five older sisters and her widowed father, who's the Sea King. And legend has it, when a mermaid turns 15, they're allowed to swim to the surface and just take a little peek. It's like getting your driver's permit, you know? <laughs> you just get, like, a little sneak peek of what, like, life is like. Exactly. Like, mm-hmm. you get a little taste of freedom mm-hmm. just to see, maybe. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they get to go up to the surface and see what's out there and try to see what the world is like. Mm-hmm. And as the youngest of five sisters, every single year when another sister turns 15, the Little Mermaid gets to hear all about their journeys and what the surface is like, and she just longs for the day that she can have her surfacing. Mm-hmm. 15th birthday rolls around, she goes to the surface, and lo and behold, there is a ship there, and a prince is having his birthday celebration. Because they have the same birthday, that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, though, a storm comes and wrecks the ship. She saves the prince from drowning, but alas, he is unconscious the Mm -hmm. entire time Mm -hmm. so she leaves him by the temple and obviously she falls in love with him yep why wouldn't she Mm -mm. i don't know (laughs) that would be a story exactly (laughs) she's quite taken i mean anytime i see an unconscious man (laughs) (laughs) so the little mermaid asks her grandma if humans can live forever and she gives a little background on the lives and souls of mermaids and people so mermaids have a 300-year lifespan, but then when they die, they just turn into sea foam and just, like, <laughs> cease to exist. When you think about it, 15 with a 300-year lifespan, she's like a toddler. She is, <laughs> yeah. She should not have this much responsibility. I agree. 
She should still be like locked in a kennel. <laughs> you don't do that with kids, just dogs. Never mind. She should like be in a, a crib. <laughs> Is that how babies work? Okay. Yeah, I think so. Um. So yeah, humans on the other hand have a much shorter lifespan. However, their souls live on forever in the afterlife. Mm. So the Little Mermaid now wants one of those eternal souls. So she goes to like the dangerous part of the ocean. She's like going to like skid row of the ocean. <laughs> and she visits the sea witch. And this is when the fairy tale takes a much darker turn from the, the Little Disney. Mermaid that we all know and love. Mm-hmm. So the sea witch sells her a potion that will give her legs in exchange for her tongue and her beautiful singing voice. Not figuratively, okay? She will literally have her tongue cut out of her mouth. Oh, yes. straight up Hunger Games style. Yeah. yeah, not good. And she's kindly, kindly warned that she'll never be able to come back to the sea once she's a human. Oh, and also... <laughs> Another little side effect. <laughs> the potion will make her feel like a sword is being passed through her body. Oh. Mm-hmm. On the positive side, though, she'll have legs and be able to dance like no human has ever danced before. Oh. Think like Lindsay Lohan and Mykonos. <laughs> but even those fire dance moves will not stop her feet from constantly bleeding and feeling like she's stepping on sharp knives every time she walks. So, like... So like she can she, dance. It's like she's walking in heels, really. <laughs> <laughs> Suck it up, Ariel. Right? Gosh. Have you ever been to a Vegas nightclub where you have to wear heels? That's Mm-mm. what it feels like. <laughs> so in addition to all of this bullshit, she will only get an immortal soul if the prince falls in love with her and marries her. If that doesn't happen, she will die with a broken heart and will dissolve into sea foam on the day that he marries someone else. Sea foam. Jeez. <laughs> Think about that next time that you burn that sea foam candle. Right? They're like, what is the most utterly useless thing in the sea that we can turn this little mermaid into? Sea foam. Sea foam. That stuff that eventually evaporates and goes away. Mm-hmm. Got it. It's quite the punishment. Quite the punishment. Imagine if that was like your life. You're like, you got to make this guy fall in love with you or you die. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Those Tinder stakes would be real, real high. Right? I guess it's like your next apocalyptic movie coming at you. I feel like there could even be a special dating app made for people who were like on the brink of death, just like last minute. Wow. Like last chance. Trademark. Right? <laughs> Dibs. <laughs> <laughs> so despite all of the fine print and the terms of conditions, the Little Mermaid accepts, swims near the palace, and drinks the potion. Wow. Prince finds her and falls in love with this, not falls in love, but he, he like, he's taken to this mute, stunningly beautiful, tiny dancer with bloody feet. <laughs> I mean, how couldn't you? <laughs> so they pretty much become best friends. They do everything together. Things are looking good for the Little Mermaid until the prince's parents tell him they've kindly arranged a marriage for him to the princess down the road. There's a lot of things being kindly here. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> most, usually when they're getting terrible news. Sweet. Hans Christian Andersen just really knows how to just connect with people and their souls. Absolutely terrible news. <laughs> prince says that he cannot marry this princess because he can only love the girl who saved his life near the temple. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool, right? Pretty cool. Maybe did that. <laughs> but lo and behold, the princess, where did she go to school? She went to school at the temple. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
So, so the prince it could be her. It could be her. But it's not. We know that. It's not. But the prince still connects these non-existent, non-existent dots and falls in love with her anyway. So Little Mermaid, she's distraught. She has sacrificed so much, so much, and endured all of this pain, and it's all for nothing. Like literal pain. Actual Physical pain. pain. You have the heartbreak, but that's like minimal <laughs> in all of this. So before she's supposed to turn into sea foam, her sisters surface and they give the little mermaid a knife that they got from the sea witch in exchange for their hair, which I don't know. Tongues don't go back. <laughs> hair does. That's true. That's like their staple though. Like they're known for their hair. That's true. Like mermaid hair is just wonderful. So the little mermaid kills the prince with the knife and lets his blood drip on her feet. Mm-hmm. She will become a mermaid again. Problem solved. <laughs> little mermaid goes into the prince's room as he's sleeping with his soon-to-be bride, but mm-hmm. she just can't bring herself to do it. Okay. She That's true love. Dramatically throws herself into the water and dissolves into sea foam. <gasps> Weirdly, she finds that she has become a spirit called the daughter of the air, and the other daughters tell her that her selflessness has given her the chance to earn her eternal soul by doing good deeds for mankind for the next 300 years. Wow. So she has a chance. Yeah. Yeah. For the next 300 years. I mean, like, I feel like you can make a whole Disney movie off of, like, these good deeds that she's eventually going to do. Like, is she the reason why Moana wins? <laughs> I'm seeing the connection here. Who came first? <laughs> it's true. Who knows? Yeah, so that is the story of the Little Mermaid. Yeah, so we can't even call her Ariel. She's just the Little Mermaid. Yeah, she's not good enough for a name. The woman with no name. All right, well, speaking of good hair, let's talk about our, our friend Rapunzel. Which, honestly, like, if I were, like, it's one of the newer Disney princess movies, Tangled. Great movie. Great flick. Love it. Flynn Rider, hysterical. The little chameleon, adorable. Mandy Moore, perfection. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we didn't have we didn't have her back when we were children, so I didn't have the strongest connection. We didn't really have like the cool Disney princesses that are around today to look up to. I know. We had like the Cinderella's, the Snow Whites, the Princess Aurora's, all weak ass bitches. Mm-hmm. Just kidding. Kind of. Not really. Um. <laughs> I mean, one of them was asleep for the whole movie, right? so like, come on. <laughs> They're just products of their time, honestly. <laughs> so Rapunzel, the original tale was written in 1600. Um, in this version, Rapunzel is sold to an ogre when she is a baby, all because her mother stole some parsley from a garden. Parsley, of all things. Um, <laughs> she was forced to give away her first child, and that child was locked away in a tower her entire life. I'm in the Brothers Grimm version of Rapunzel, which came out in 1857. It's a little darker, obviously. Rapunzel has never seen a man before. And once she does, she's... Same. <laughs> Your husband will be so happy to hear that. <laughs> she is seduced by the first man she sees, who is a prince, obviously. Jackpot. <laughs> and she becomes pregnant. Um, the prince goes blind and wanders aimlessly throughout a forest, and eventually the Rapunzel gives birth to twins, which is, like, weird. Twins kind of pop up quite often. And they have to go through a series of terrible things, and eventually they meet each other again, and they live happily ever after. So is he just, like, wandering around the forest blind I for, think like, so. most of his life? I think so. I'm not sure, like, how, what the time span is, but I think it's supposed to be pretty horrifying. 
Okay. Yeah. So, and I'm not sure if she's just like chilling in her tower, like watching it happen. Um, but eventually, <laughs> Marco. <laughs> eventually, they make it out the other end, and um, he's a guide dog. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> or maybe like this is the forest at the end of Bird Box, and <laughs> it's true. It makes no sense I'm... to have a blind school in the middle of the woods. Maybe it was not so overgrown before. <laughs> Who knows? It could have just been like a really nice place on a lake and it just took a turn when people couldn't see. I mean, yard work does not become a priority. <laughs> uh, so the real version of the story of Rapunzel is actually said to be that of St. Barbara, who is a real saint. I looked it up. St. <laughs> um, Babs. St. Babs. <laughs> so... Barbara is the daughter of a wealthy merchant in Rome. Her beauty is so widely known that she has suitors from near and far, um, including princes, which is like easy sell usually in these stories. But um, with so many suitors, her father holds interviews and then provides his daughter with a few, a selection of a few men that she can pick from. But Barbara is a free-spirited girl, and she's like, you're not going to tell me how to live my life. So... <laughs> She, which is like strange. I mean, I was like, this is like her own personal version of the Bachelorette, and yeah, this is like her rose ceremony. And she's um, turning it down. She's turning it down. She's like, I have free will, which is pretty intense to say back in the day. And this is like sort of like ancient Roman times. So worried that his business was going to be affected by his daughter's impetuous behavior, her father devises this plan to lock her in a tower that does not yet exist. <laughs> Um, while he's away in business. So the tower needs to be built by members of his town, which are men. Rapunzel is around because she's not really allowed to leave the property. So she, even though she's not supposed to, she sort of engages in conversation with these men. And they, once the tower is being built and she is locked in it, they she has this sort of like basket system where they put things in the basket and she like wheels it up to herself and then back down. So eventually somebody actually puts some outlawed Christian literature in her basket and she reads it. So at this time the Romans are pagan and they being a Christian is actually like punishable by torture and death. But she still decides that she wants to convert. So once she becomes a Christian, she sort of wants to show her loyalty. So she actually convinces the workers to help her down from her tower and she sort of goes around her father's property and destroys all these pagan idols that are all over it. She also is said to have snuck a priest and is baptized. Sneaks a priest into her like little tower and is baptized. Once her father returns and sees what has become of his daughter, he immediately turns her into local Roman authorities. Oh my God. He's not down to harbor a fugitive. Come on, dad. I know. I feel like my dad would be like, all right, let's work through this together. <laughs> but not this guy. He's not down to clown. So while after being turned in, she is tortured by, like, they'll cut, cut her with knives and then rub salt in her wounds. Oh, that's fun. Real fun. Ooh. So she is tortured for her newfound faith. And there's no prince that ultimately saves her or anything like that. Sounds like these people need Jesus. Right? She's eventually executed by her dad. Her dad chops her head off with a sword. Yeah. He should have read this Christian literature. It's so true. I don't understand. (laughs) So she's eventually murdered. 
But after her death, she does become a martyr for the Eastern Orthodox Church. Um, she wasn't quite saint-worthy just yet because in order to be a saint in East, Eastern Orthodox Church, there some sort of like magical miracle needs to happen within your story. So the story is sort of rewritten to include that while she is running away from her father and from trying to chop her head off, she flies. Not quite sure why why it didn't work out. That doesn't really doesn't really touch on that. But uh, she flies, so therefore she um, is canonized as a saint. And there, I know there's no long hair. They say that, that that sort of could have been combined from another Persian tale of a woman with long hair in a tower. But the story of St. Barbara also matches up. And because it was written in a time where people were Christian, they think this might actually have been the real the real version that it was derived from. All right. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Kind of kind of brutal. Right? That's, well, that's apparently what they're going for here. It's just like the underlying lessons are always like so clear. It's like, you know, whether it's Rapunzel as a saint, like you sh- should be, be so into your faith that you can die for it. Or it's Pocahontas where, you know, you can be a pretty good diplomat (laughs) it's just interesting to see or the little mermaid that the seaweed is always greener in somebody else's lake there you go the lessons we're really getting into it all right so this next one is based on a true story shockingly and it's beauty and the beast this story happened in the 1500s unfortunately there are no princes involved no curse no talking furniture and shockingly no bestiality either <laughs> in the true version of this. Which I honestly respect. Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> of all the messed up things that we've been hearing, it, I still think bestiality is a line they just don't want to cross. You just then. don't cross. I don't care how long ago it is. You don't cross the bestiality line. Mm-mm. This isn't no. Black Mirror. This is not. <laughs> if you're going to watch, if you have not watched Black Mirror and you're like, I should start watching it. Just like go to go to episode two. <laughs> yeah, episode one, you're just like, oh my gosh, what have I just put my mind through? Like it's a great episode, don't get me wrong, but wonderful. It's not a great intro to like the rest of Black Mirror. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it'll give me nightmares. So this story starts with a man named Petrus Gonsalves, and he was born in the Canary Islands in 1537. Mm. So Petrus had. Hypertrichosis, which you say is, that so well, like, and I say, I say it confidently, yeah. so that people are like, oh, she knows what she's talking about. I don't oh, have to. I, I, I don't have to, to fact check her. I know it's obviously working. I didn't even exactly. draw a question. I was like, wow, that just like flies off the tongue. <laughs> so hypertrichosis is also commonly known as werewolf syndrome, where your entire body is covered in hair. So it's sort of like dating an Italian. <laughs> I'm just Mama kidding Mia. if you're like Italian. Don't, don't be mad at me. <laughs> Neither of us are Italian, so we can't even say that. It's true. <laughs> sort of like dating me. <laughs> I mean, I haven't shaved my legs in quite a while, so <laughs> we're getting there. Oh, this is going to get cut. So, um, werewolf syndrome, it's, it, it, it's still around today. Very, very few people have had it, I think. In total, it's around like the fifties. Oh wow! Population wise, okay, the amount that's of people have had it. Yeah, when he was a kid, he was locked in an iron cage and fed raw meat and animal feed. Oh, like an animal. He was yeah. He was treated like a pet essentially. 
And when he was 10 years old, he was shipped off to France as a coronation gift to King Henry II. So that just shows you the amount of humanity they thought this child had. Yeah, they didn't think he had any, it seems. Right. But luckily for Petrus, the king saw him as a human. And he decided he wanted to try and educate him and turn him into a gentleman. I mean, he he did this really kind thing for him. I think to the king, it could have also been like a little, his own little experiment. Like, Ah. you know, take this this kid who was raised as an animal and see if we can, you know, turn him into a society man. Oh. So yeah, he takes this upon himself. King treated him really well, gave him clothes, food, and shelter, and also gave him the education of that of a nobleman. So taught him how to read and write in three different languages, which a lot more than I can do. So King Henry II unfortunately died in a jousting match in 1559 when Petrus was 22. So his widow, Catherine de Medici, became ruler and decided to take Petrus under her wing in her own experiment, which is a little bit more messed up. She wanted to see what would happen if he married a beautiful woman, mainly because she wanted to see what their children would look like. She's like, as if it, we haven't treated this man horribly enough, let's just throw another victim into the pot. Exactly. Lo and behold, the daughter of a royal court servant, also named Catherine, met and wed Petrus on the same day. They had seven children, four of whom were also born with hypotrichosis. Well, I mean... Hypertrichosis. She went through with the wedding and she had kids with him so yeah there has to be some semblance of love there honestly seven kids is a lot it's a lot of kids yeah like even back then there were like there were no like goalies back then that's true but like (laughs) you really like the dynamic of their relationship must have been like somewhat civilized because otherwise she probably would have just like ran away i do think it does sound like it was a loving relationship okay i mean there was nothing that indicated it wasn't yeah um yeah so After they have these seven kids, the family toured through Europe, and they eventually settled in Parma, Italy. Like, toured through Europe, like like a circus situation? It's what it sounded like. We're going to go with that. Yeah. (laughs) It's so sad. Yeah. But they settled in Parma, Italy, which... Not bad. I don't know anything about, but I just have to assume it's the birthplace of Parmesan, (laughs) so it can't be that bad. It can't be. There they worked for Duke Ranuccio Farnes, and the Duke was fascinated by this family, he commissioned paintings of them, but never depicted the three children who were unaffected by hypertrichosis. So the four children who had hypertrichosis were gifted as pets to nobility. So not just giving babies away. No bigs. As pets. I'm so sad. I don't know. I mean, like, I have dogs. <laughs> I know they're dogs. They are treated very well. <laughs> Almost like humans, but they're still dogs. Like, if you, you know the distinction between a human Mm -hmm. and an animal. Like, especially when you know it comes out of a human, you know it's a human. Yeah, and like this, Petrus had a great education. Mm -hmm. I'm sure his children are equally as intelligent. Yeah. So I mean, if he's if your pet starts talking to you, yeah. Can you still treat it like a pet? Come I, on. I don't think so. Mm-mm. They seem to have like reason and will. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah, they're gifted to nobility. Petrus and Catherine were together for 40 years before Petrus passed away. And there is no public record of his death since he was not considered worthy 
of a Christian burial. Oh, that's so sad because I didn't consider him human. I know. That's so sad. It's really sad. He was last mentioned in 1617 at the christening of his grandson. So it's cool he got to be a granddad. Yeah, that's true. And Catherine passed away in 1623. And their story spread throughout the region and became the inspiration for one of the most popular love stories today. Yeah. Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast. I really miss the talking objects, though. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Potts and Chip. Exactly. They make they make the movie. It's the only reason why I married Mike. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> so good. Mrs. Potts. <laughs> well done. Thank you. I like it. I thought for sure it was like a Pepper Pot situation, but you just threw me a curveball. I sure did. <laughs> we have so many name options for children now. We have Chip and we have Pepper. <laughs> it's perfect. I was like, what is your affinity of naming your children after kitchenware? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. All righty. Well, it doesn't get any happier. Um, It actually gets a little weirder in the story of Sleeping Beauty. Um, Everyone knows the story of Sleeping Beauty as a princess who is cursed to sleep until her one true love gives her a kiss not rapes her that's not what the disney movie says but lo and behold that's what the actual story is no yeah um so the original version of sleeping beauty was first written by an italian author named gian battiste basile i don't think that's accurate like i mean i think the name's accurate i just don't think i'm saying it well Um, who published a book called The Tale of Tales in 1634 um and it was just like a, a a collection of short stories, fairy tales, if you will. Um, and the story of Sleeping Beauty was called Sun, Moon, and Talia. So her name was not Princess Aurora. It was Talia. In this version of Sleeping Beauty, she falls into a coma from a splinter. That's right. A splinter. Accurate. I mean, like, I get it. I've had a splinter that I was afraid I was going to get infected. I was going to get blood poisoning and die. Um, <laughs> but that's my own cross to bear. I wasn't quite afraid of falling into a coma i was actually more afraid of imminent death (laughs) that's the thing i mean is an infection gonna i don't know anything about medicine so like is an infection gonna make you comatose or is it just gonna like give you like sepsis and kill you right well i don't understand like if you're comatose this long ago like you don't quite have the machinery to maintain the coma like ventilators and things like that so i think you might just die <laughs> comas might be a now thing. No feeding tubes or anything exactly i don't that's very true yeah i think you just die so this isn't real right <laughs> so a king finds an abandoned palace that he sneaks into and looks all through until he finds a room that holds sleeping beauty and as soon as he sees her he is just you know, taken by her beauty and vulnerability, aka her, the fact that she is unconscious. And Can we talk about how beautiful people are when they sleep? <laughs> like it's, it's so true. My husband has pictures of me sleeping. You know, like the pictures you <laughs> they see—they are not attractive. <laughs> the pictures you see in like, um, of like mattress magazines and people look like so like pretty while asleep. Like they have to be a very specific type of model. They really do. Looks pretty while sleeping or fake sleeping. That could be a resume builder. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No. I. I'm that person. Like mouth open, mm-hmm. drool on pillow. Mm-hmm. I get it. Same yeah. Here. Face not... mask on. <laughs> Earplugs in. <laughs> hair everywhere. Exactly. 
Yeah. Um, so he is so taken with her beauty that he rapes her. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Just really gets in there. Um, oh and my I, God. I know. It's really. <laughs> okay, maybe come on. <laughs> really gets in there. <laughs> well, he really gets in there because she eventually becomes pregnant. Okay. <laughs> so. So he rapes her, and I need to read you, like, how this rape scene is characterized in this tale. Oh, my God. Okay, so it says, Crying aloud, the king beheld her charms and felt his blood course hotly through his veins. He lifted her in his arms and carried her to a bed where he gathered the fruits of love. This is a fairy tale? It's a fairy tale. This is for children? He's raping her in a fairy tale, and it's called Fruits of Love. That's not something you say when it really is fruits of exactly. love, let alone rape. I honestly can't even stand the term making love. So <laughs> fruits of love really just like makes me uncomfortable. I just think like making love is something that like teachers and parents do. Yeah. But like <laughs> teachers. <laughs> do you, did you really think a lot about that? No. You know, but it's just like so innocent. Like they probably have two twin size beds on the opposite side of a bedroom. Yeah. I can't, I can't, I hate the term making love so fruits <laughs> of love is like above that now um so after getting what he wants the king just like pieces out and leaves doesn't give it a second thought he goes and keep in mind she's not conscious this entire time like this one true love kiss does, or one true love rape does not wake her up <laughs> true love rape exactly it doesn't Oof. wake her this up is rough um so just like in so many law and order svu episodes nine months later sleeping beauty gives birth to two children a boy and a girl so once the babies are born she's still asleep and so in order to fill the plot gap they a fairy arrives (laughs) fairies are so convenient they are they're just like little plot fillers that like when they're like well like how does the one person like how does cinderella get addressed fairy fairy like, you have to, it's it's quite genius, honestly. Mm-hmm. It might be lazy writing, but it's genius. <laughs> so, at some point, the new twins, this fairy must not be, like, very good with anatomy because they, she was trying to place the twins on Sleeping Beauty's breasts to breastfeed, which somehow mixes it up with her fingers. <laughs> and the, tw- <laughs> the, t- right? the twins suckle on her fingers so intensely that they suck that splinter right on out and she wakes up that's magic right what was like if you woke up and you had two babies just chilling on you right what was your reaction complete and utter freak out get those away from me they're Mm -hmm. not mine what happened to me (laughs) how old i am am i and what year is it exactly (laughs) i don't understand um, so she wakes up and is apparently in no way shook by the fact that she has been asleep for an undetermined amount of time, was raped, and now has twins. Um, Just completely ignores everything. Like, this is my life now. Yeah, cool. I, I accept it. It's true. No questions. No questions. Eventually, though, so this has been like ever since the king arrives and rapes her. It's been at least nine months. So eventually he, you know, remembers his side piece and it was like, oh, maybe I should go and check on her. So he gets there and sort of mansplains to her about their non-consensual affair and that they're in love. Um, so back so at... So kind. Right? So back at their... Um, at his actual castle where he lives, he's actually married to a character that is very much like Maleficent. So in the actual tale, Maleficent, Maleficent is an evil fairy. 
But in this tale, she is actually the queen and the wife of the cheating rapist. So, um, eventually the queen actually learns of the king's two illegitimate children and tricks Sleeping Beauty into sending them to her kingdom. There, she tells the palace cook that he needs to murder these, like, toddler twins and cook them into a meal that will be fed to her cheating husband. Yes. No. Yeah, so we, we've got some cannibalism. We might have avoided bestiality earlier, but now we've got cannibalism. Now we have cannibalism. Yeah. Golly, this um, is a cheerful story. <laughs> Tell me more. Tell me more. But the, the palace cook is not able to do it. He can't kill these innocent children, so he saves them and cooks lamb instead. It's okay. I make lamb. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Good guy. Um... So she feeds the, but the queen has no idea. She thinks that her husband is actually eating the children. Um, she says something like extremely cryptic while he's like complimenting the dish. She's she's like, "Yes, eat my husband. You're eating your own." But like he doesn't really understand the context because he doesn't know that she knows about these kids. So after she believes that the children have been murdered by the palace cook, she sends for Sleeping Beauty. And decides that she is going to throw her in a giant bonfire. Naturally. It's nice of her. It's super nice of her. So Sleeping Beauty decides that the best course of action is to tell the queen that because she's wearing such a beautiful dress, you know, as all mistresses do, she needs to take the dress off because it has pearls on it, diamonds, and it's just has a lot of value. And so the uh, the queen actually agrees with her because she, you know, she gets it. Sisters in fashion. <laughs> and she's like, Respect okay. the dress. Respect the dress. So she tells her to remove, um, remove her articles of clothing before and then, you know, I'm going to murder you. So fair. <laughs> fair. So Sleeping Beauty decides to start screaming with every single article of clothing that falls off of her. I think at that point, I would just leave. Right. Like, you know what? It's not worth it. <laughs> You're true. crazy. <laughs> it ain't for me. <laughs> <laughs> you can live. It's true. But instead, it alarms the king that something, like, is happening within his palace. So he goes and finds where the screaming is coming from and sees that it's Sleeping Beauty. At this point, the queen decides to tell him that he not only is going to have a dead mistress, but his twins are also dead. And he ate them. (laughs) This obviously spurs a lot of anger in the king. And he then orders his guards to throw the queen in the fire instead of Sleeping Beauty. Uh, she, She dies. Sleeping Beauty and the king are married and are reunited with their still living children. And they live happily ever after. Oh. And there's no Maleficent movie. (laughs) <laughs> so many dark turns in here I know there's it's got your it's got your splinters it's got your rape it's got, it's got your bonfires and your cannibalism it's meat fine. pies meat pies right. I mean good lesson though is if you're in trouble you scream that is a good lesson hopefully there's not the bystander effect but Right? Scream fire. If only she could have screamed when she was being <laughs> raped. And you know, if she screamed fire like they actually tell you to do, it wouldn't yeah. have been wrong. Wouldn't have been there wrong. There's a fire. Yeah. <laughs> Minus the whole rape part, yeah. but like the whole doing pregnancy and giving birth thing while in a coma. 
Wouldn't mind it. Wouldn't mind it. <laughs> so true. I don't, I mean, because like, I'm terrified of pregnancy and like yes. giving birth. So if I just like didn't have to know any of this was happening. Yeah. Consensually. Yeah. Sign me up. I know that's what epidurals are here for, I hear. <laughs> but you still remember it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Epidurals just sound like a wonderful thing. <laughs> it's like a spinal tap. I like I have nothing to prove to anybody. I'm not No I'm not for doing sure. that naturally. For sure. Are you kidding me? I I have nothing to prove. I yeah, I couldn't handle I, I know my threshold of pain and I know that, that I'm just not down to clown with feeling my vagina ripped open and a human coming out of it. This just doesn't feel natural. Just don't think me. I can look at that thing with love afterwards. <laughs> so true explains so much about your relationship with your mom. I mean, I was <laughs> just kidding. She didn't get to the hospital in time for an epidural with me, so. Really? <laughs> Sorry, Nance. Oh, man. That's Oof. bad. Yeah. Um. My mom <laughs> cried after I was born because I was an ugly baby. Like, no. All babies are ugly, but like all the babies. one person who thinks that you're cute is supposed to be your mom. <laughs> when did, like, how old were my you? grandma like came to my defense. <laughs> how old were you when like your mom was... Like, when mom, your mom decided it was okay to tell you that she cried after you were born. Oh, I think maybe, like, middle school mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, like, I was a big, like, I was nine pounds, six ounces, I think, wow. as a baby. And my brother was premature, so he was little, like, little, little. So I, my mom, like, wasn't used to seeing, like, a newborn baby this large. And so she's just like, it's just so ugly. <laughs> <laughs> my grandma was like... Get real, Nance. <laughs> this is your offspring, okay? God. Love you, Mom. <laughs> Alright, so let's talk about Cinderella. Like, everybody knows this story. I mean, it is literally the basis of every romance of all time. Every single story. And it's very prominent throughout many cultures, mm-hmm. Asian and European. Yeah. And it always involves a woman living a life of misfortune, mm-hmm. and it all turns around in the end. Mm-hmm. Happily ever after. Happily ever after. So, the one we're going to focus on here is the Brothers Grimm fairy tale. Mm. And it's called Ashenputl, which <laughs> I'm saying 100% correctly. And it translates to Cinderella in English, supposedly. So, have you ever seen Into the Woods? Yes, okay. I have. That version of Cinderella is more in line with the that, Brothers Grimm that checks version. Out. So, we're going to start out with Cinderella's childhood. Her father is this wealthy man and uh, her mom is infected by the plague and she dies. Just not not a cheerful time. The plague catches another one. Damn rats. <laughs> and you know, mice were like a very prominent thing in the, the Cinderella movie. That is interesting. <laughs> so did just rats carry the plague or did mice too? They're one and the same to me. Okay, got it. Yeah. <laughs> So Cinderella is very distraught. She and her mother were close. So she goes to her grave every day and she she grieves the loss of her mother. Mm -hmm. Her dad ends up remarrying a woman with two older daughters who are said to be beautiful women, but they have very ugly hearts. Mm -hmm. They are very mean to Cinderella and they steal her clothing, her jewels. They make her wear rags. I told you, Kanye West. Kanye West. Season 19. (laughs) Hobo chic. I love it. Oh, man. Cinderella was way ahead of her time. I love me a good distressed jean, so. <laughs> <laughs> Had some Yeezys on. Exactly. <laughs> um, they also made her stay in the kitchen the whole time. 
<laughs> yeah. That's honestly the best punishment ever. <laughs> Close access to food. I mean, I don't think they had like a cabinet full of sweets back then. Fine. I mean, she could make some fried chicken, some fried rat. Fried rat. <laughs> fried flag. <laughs> fried flag. Now that's the real way to get that back at her sister. Gross. So they made her do all these crazy chores for them and just intentionally made her life harder. Mm-hmm. Jealousy, man. Jealousy. It's a bitch. So Cinderella, she has such a kind heart and she just obliges everything that's thrown at her. And all this time, she is still visiting her mother's grave every day and just praying for a better life. Oh, that's so sad. I know. And like Cinderella's dad is just like, Apparently not giving a fuck. Exactly. Just sort of like, whatever. It's like, new new life who dis. <laughs> he does go to the fair one day, though, and very kindly asks each daughter, including Cinderella, what they would like as a gift from the fair. The stepsisters, of course, say they want clothing and they want jewels, but Cinderella's just like a twig. <laughs> okay. That's how you know that you have like some sort of like Stockholm Syndrome where you're like... <laughs> This is my life now. Just bring me a stick, dog. right? <laughs> Please, sir, can I have another? Right. So he, he gets them everything they want, and he even stops in the forest along the way and picks up a hazel twig. Okay. So Cinderella puts the twig at her mother's grave and waters it with her tears, and it grows into a beautiful hazel tree. And she starts to pray to the tree... And then a little white dove starts giving her the things that she wishes for. Oh, white doves. Always the symbol of innocence. (laughs) They're released at weddings and things. (laughs) Thank you for the lesson in symbolism. (laughs) (laughs) So the king decides he's going to have a festival and invites all of the lovely maidens in the land so he can find a wife for his son. Hmm. So Cinderella's stepmother tells her she can't go because she doesn't have anything to wear. Like... Just go raid your sister's closet. Come on, that's what <laughs> sisters are for. It's true. The stepmom then throws a bunch of lentils into the fireplace and tells Cinderella that she can go to the fair if or to the festival if she can pick up all of the lentils in two hours. That's ridiculous. Yeah. But Cinderella, badass, does it in less than an hour. Have had some help with the dove. Got it. And so the stepmother is like, I'm not about to be bested, and throws more lentils into the fire. <laughs> So Cinderella cleans it again, but the stepmother just can't can't lose. So she just exits stage left with her daughters and husband to yeah. go to the festival. She's like, good luck with the dress. Have fun. Bye. Yeah. So Cinderella goes to her mother's grave, is distraught, whatever. She asks the tree for a gown, mm-hmm. and the bird delivers a silver and gold gown with Silk shoes, which sound so comfortable. They sound so comfortable. So comfortable. But they breathe pretty well. Yeah. Nice. Probably not very sturdy. <laughs> Probably not. It's more Back like then, a... like with all the cobblestone streets and everything. It's true. Like in the fairy tale, they call it her glass slipper. I'd venture to guess this was like an actual slipper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Maybe had some like sheepskin in there. Yeah. Who knows? Anyway. She goes... In her beautiful dress and shoes and ends up dancing with the prince all all day. <laughs> I wrote all night, but she leaves at sunset. So <laughs> This is a day party. There's some discrepancies here. So she leaves at sunset and he starts to walk her home like the gentleman that he is. 
But she runs from him <laughs> by jumping into a pigeon coop, <laughs> which is apparently a thing. <laughs> it's, it's like such a strange way to go. You're like, where's the grossest place for me to land? Pigeon coop. Yep. I just think pigeons, it just makes me think of like New York City and like <laughs> flying rats. They're like street rats. Yeah. Like pigeons probably had the plague back then too. That's true. If, it was, if the, the modern day plague would be carried by pigeons. How awful would that be? It would spread so fast. And that's what we call the bird flu. <laughs> <laughs> so she goes to the festival the next day wearing an even better gown and spends the day with the prince. And this day he falls in love with her. Mm-hmm. So he starts to escort her home at sunset. Again, don't know why the whole sunset thing. Like there's no like magic happening where like her carriage is going to turn into a pumpkin. Like, I don't know. But should have just read the fairy tale and maybe I would have found out. Um, Cliff Notes did not tell me. So, walks her home. Again, she runs from him, this time climbing up a pear tree. Third day, she arrives at the festival and the prince planned ahead. He smeared tar all over the staircase. It just has to be like a pain in the ass for all the other guests. Like getting all over the bottom of your gown. (laughs) This feels like a trap. Yeah. So it worked, though, because as she was running away, one of her slippers got stuck in the stairs. Mm. And the prince retrieves the slipper and announces that he will find the woman whose feet fit into the slipper. And Mm. he's going to marry her. I'm just saying I'm a size eight shoe. And that's like so common. So common. So it must be like a real custom shoe if he's pretty confident that it's going to fit just one woman. Maybe she's a Neanderthal like me. <laughs> just a super tall, big-footed That's woman. That's true. It's true. That's your marker. That's your marker. <laughs> so, I mean, he does not go on this venture himself. Yeah. He sends his people out. So, the stepmother hears wind that this is happening. Yeah. Like, you know, so she tells her stepdaughters that they need to prepare. So, first stepdaughter, she tells her, you need to cut off your toes that you fit into the slipper. (laughs) So logical. Logic. Exactly. So, she does it. (laughs) Chops off her toes. Slipper fits. Yay. There's got to be an excess of blood. There was. Okay. There was. And, um, (laughs) as, like, they're, like, transporting her back to the, the prince's estate, they, um... Like, when you think she's the woman. Yes. Got it. Um, they notice the blood, and they're like, wait. <laughs> Go back. Hold the horses. Hold Bring your horses. Her <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Brought her back. And then, other stepsister, your time to shine. Mother says, cut off your heels. Ha! Which is... Honestly, just sounds so much worse. So much worse. And I'm just like, I'm trying to think how, like, how you would that have a, works. Like, you would have a limp for the rest of your life. Just because, like, your Achilles heel too. Like, that's oh, like so many tendons. <sighs> I don't know. Anyway, ugh, yeah. So, same story. Slipper fits. Take her back. Blood everywhere. <laughs> Take her back. <laughs> so. They bring her back, and then they're just like, yo, are there any other women who live here that this slipper could fit? And this is when Cinderella's dad, like, steps up, okay? Finally. (laughs) This is his moment. And he's like, yeah, actually, (laughs) I have a daughter. (laughs) So 
She tries on the slipper. It fits. They marry. They live happily ever after. Obviously. Obviously. So, wedding day. The the stepsisters are her bridesmaids. I guess you just, as... Just the as most a, forgiving person of all time. Right? Or maybe, like, as a bride, you just choose the people you, like, hate the most. But, <laughs> I was on his bridesmaid. <laughs> <laughs> Or it's like, you know, like the, the theory of like the bride always wants to be the prettiest. So like she needs her bridesmaids to be ugly. <laughs> and so she's like, well, these bitches have like a serious limp now. And the, the, the defeated disappointment in their hearts that you can see. Their so. balance is just so off. Exactly. So. Yeah. So they're at the wedding and Cinderella's doves come and peck out the eyes of the stepsisters as punishment and wow they get to live this life of misery while cinderella lives this luxurious life with her new prince happily ever after happily ever after eyes pecked out at the end so much darker so much darker i mean i'd love to see disney redo it with like with the actual Brothers Grimm versions. I would love to see. They never would. No. It would have to be somebody else. I'm sure there's someone on YouTube who's done it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's our collection of Disney princesses. And their, uh, their darker stories slash real stories slash, you know. Just trying to ruin. Nightmares. Ruin your perception. <laughs> yeah. Ruining your perception of Disney princesses. I feel like. You know, there were, like, courses you could take at some colleges literally on Disney princesses, or at the very least Disney storylines and how they've sort of shaped society and how we're they're changing. I mean, like, your Moanas, your Elsas, they're a lot different these days. They really are. They're definitely a lot better for girls and mm-hmm. just kind of showing the strength of women and what women are capable of. You yeah. don't have to wait for your prince charming. Exactly. Very much less damsel in distress situations. Yeah. But it's too late for us. It's true. <laughs> we barely missed that card. Played that damsel in distress card. <laughs> Worked for me. My roommate, she has a godson, and she was, like, talking to her godson about school, and he was talking about how, like, the smartest kid and, like, the smartest person in his class was this, like, little girl. I'll just call her Maddie. And she was like, well, you know, like, you're you're really smart, too. And he goes, oh, everybody knows that girls are smarter than boys. And I was like, <laughs> whoa, that's insane. Times have changed. I love that. That's so cute. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening to. Yes, thank you. Our first episode. Hopefully the first of many. Hopefully. We'll see if you've made it this far. Good on you. Let us know by <laughs> writing a review and just saying, yo. I made it this far. We made it. Give us a little constructive criticism or just. Like not in the reviews though. Like. Yeah. Like don't, don't tell us that in the reviews. Like DM us. Slide into my DMs for that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's it. One of these days we're gonna have like a really cool sign off, but right yeah. now we don't. So. It's gotta come like organically. You it know, will. you can't just force we it. We can't force it. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Have a have a great day and bye. Bye.